0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. This is your independent voice of fulham fc my name is jack collins and i'll be a in host here on the thursday club it's an all rotated lineup sammy is in austin peter has sadly failed a late fitness test for the last game so he's recovering we wish him all the best so i'm joined by the one the only mr dan cook welcome to the show mate how you doing
1: good thanks jc thanks for having me feels a little bit like a carabao cup thursday pod this i feel like <laughs> i'm, I'm st- stepping in just to, to give some legs some rest
0: I mean, look. I mean, you have to hark back for uh, you have to hark back at a fair while for it to be the Cookie and Collins show at Fulham, right? Are <laughs> we we'll talking two thousand? Maybe, maybe when Cookie was manager and Collins John was running about. I, I, I don't know, but it, it's been a while, a well overdue. So I'm delighted to say that we're we're in business on this one. And, and how nice is it to be doing a podcast after last night?
1: Ah, uh, it's brilliant. It's there's such a nice atmosphere around the club at the moment. Like it's just it's really nice going to games, but it's even nicer speaking about games afterwards at the moment. And that's that's the best thing you can say, because there have been some times recently when uh, it's been pretty dire having to then talk about games afterwards. But after performances like last night, it's just a pleasure, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's just really nice to talk about. It was like sitting in the pub afterwards being like, oh, this is good, isn't it? This is so so rare, just to be able to like, okay, we can just sit and enjoy. And I think the kind of ease of it as well, but we'll come on to it. But first, let's do some three-word reviews.
1: Yeah, we've had some good ones. As you'd expect, there have been some around Steven Gerrard. So we had from Louis J.W., Aston Lavista, which I did enjoy. <laughs> uh, likewise, from James Wilson, we had Gerard Louise's job. He put in a couple. I a- saw
0: him do Gerard's pink slip, which was also good.
1: Very good. on fire. Although, just for future reference, folks, if you could just put them in one tweet, that would be really good, uh, and we can just rattle them off in in, in several. Uh, and then we've got AF, our very own Adam Farquharson with Fulham cash in Brian with Wall of Justice, a little reference to the pod there as we spoke about Brentford's Wall of Justice. And then finally, Jakob Krupa with Heroes and Williams.
0: Yes, very good, very good. And It's nice when you get those happy ones flying in um, and it did feel like Steven Gerrard's sacking was going to be a big part of, of the three-word review. So well done, everybody. Very, very good stuff. Um, let's talk about it. I mean, Dan, it was incredibly easy in many ways and and you don't get games like that really in the Premier League you don't expect games and you know I was talking to the people around me at Fulham and it's the first time we've won by more than one goal this season which is which is pretty remarkable considering how good some of the performances have been but actually I do think that that's probably quite a big statement to go right we are actually going to just keep the clean sheet score three all of it just felt like Fulham were in complete control of that game.
1: Yeah, we were, and it's annoying because some of it does feel like it has to be prefaced by how bad Villa actually were, and not not even just how bad they were, but just how badly they were set up. I, I did a preview for a, a Villa podcast midweek, and I said that if you want to cause Fulham problems, you've got to go out, you've got to be intense, you've you've got to get in Fulham's faces, and really play at a quick tempo. And just Village just didn't do that. Like I couldn't quite understand, especially after their performance against Chelsea where they looked better, yeah. that they came out and they were so passive. And, and there's one thing you can't be against a Marco Silva-Fulham side, and that's passive, because we have the quality and the sequences that we put together that really punish teams who don't press us in, in the middle third, especially. I thought Polina was great at orchestrating it all. And then that final third, having William uh, who was was brilliant i mean i thought he was so so good just dictating the play he picked up the ball so often those little pockets of space just just outside the area sort of the corner of the box where he then has the option to put the ball in or release anthony robinson most of the time we we were brilliant and but some of it is prefaced by just how poor villa were
0: yeah i mean they went with esri concert right back which I wasn't expecting. I was trying to work out if it was a three at the back with wing backs to begin with. But not only that, you know, they've stuck Leon Bailey in front of him and Leon Bailey is a wonderful footballer, but his defensive work rate leaves a lot to be desired. And so what we've let Fulham do is basically dominate that left hand side from our from our perspective, get into those areas and control it. And and you're right, William I thought was the best player on the park. But he was also given the time and space to be the best player on the park. It looked like he was strolling around at ease. And I thought that was maybe interesting. You know, obviously, they're trying to switch things up. It didn't get much better for them when they brought Matty Cash on at halftime. But to be fair, the damage had kind of been done by that point. It just felt like almost everyone in the Fulham team had a good game to a man. And that rarely happens unless you're playing an opponent who really doesn't turn up.
1: Yeah, I, I left the game and speaking to dad about it, it as we were walking to the bus stop. It was really difficult to initially pick a man of the match because no one had a bad game, especially at the starters, and everyone contributed in their own way. Willian, we both settled on afterwards on the bus that he was probably the best player on the pitch and deserved man of the match. But yeah, when you when you look at you know Anthony Robinson being afforded all of that freedom down the the left flank, Bobby De reed at right back, really not being tested, being allowed to get forward as well. It says a lot about how Villa set up and then for all three central midfielders to, to dominate in their own way as well. I mean, there, there's so many issues in that Villa side, but we were so brilliant.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bobby was excellent and deserves that shout out because there was a couple of things he did, you know, not only bursting down the right and and getting into those spaces, but at one point he put an early cross in from about 35 yards out and and Mitrovic should probably do better with it, to to be perfectly honest with you. It's, It's one of those you're looking at and going, yep, that's a really, really good ball. Um, and and that's it. You know, you look at the villa team and you go, Who had good games? Emmy Martinez did, which is never a particularly good sign if your keeper is, is keeping you in games or, or stopping the score being worse than it actually was. I thought Ollie Watkins ran hard and and, and probably pressed the best. And Dad Dad said he was, he was sitting next to him, he was saying he's the best player. And I was like, Well, Martinez probably for me. But I thought in terms of outfielders, he was definitely the the fella that that made the most difference purely through work rate right there, not because he was particularly good on the ball. He just seemed to be the only one actually trying to make things happen and, and, and that's bad look.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of their system appeared to be just trying to hit the space in behind the full and back line and see if Ollie Watkins could get there, which in general is not a great tactic because it was, it was bordering on hit and hope at times. I'll be honest, and I don't know if this is controversial, I thought for large parts of the game, Tyrone Mings was actually pretty good. I thought they actually defended relatively well Villa. I think that the issues weren't necessarily within the back four defensively. They let us get into dangerous positions too often. But if you look at the, the way that they defended the majority of our crosses and attacking situations in the first half, they restricted us to... Fewer chances than we probably should have created, yeah, just by the way that they set up. They set up pretty narrow at times. I thought they cut, they, they stopped our cutbacks pretty well, they defended crosses relatively well. Um, so I think that there, there's some amount of credit in there for how they defended, but by all accounts, from Villa fans, that's not been the problem this season, it's been their, their lack of attacking sequences, which we saw again. I, I genuinely couldn't really work out what their game plan was, and it says a lot and I wrote this in the positive and negatives piece this morning, that Bert Nenau was not in the discussion for player of the match for Fulham because he didn't really have to do much. And that's the first time in quite a few weeks that we've been able to say that.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's come on to the goals because the first one is Harrison Reed Thunderbolt. He's becoming a goal machine, isn't he? This is it. And I, suddenly, released from the shackles, playing a little bit more in that number eight role rather than the number six that maybe we saw him in a little bit more last year. And he is able to bomb up and down. And actually, he spent a fair amount of time in the opposition third. And actually, that, that's probably a good sequence of where Fulham were in this game, where we were in terms of possession dominance and territory dominance as well. But it's a cracking strike and it's been a long time since we had a player on the edge of the box waiting to to crack those in. And it felt like one of those moments where he had time and space to bring it down, take a touch, pick his spot and then fire it through because they were just not expecting him. Well, I don't know, either to shoot or they weren't expecting him to, to be able to find the target, which to be fair, if that was their analysis over the last couple of years, they might well have been right.
1: Yeah, I still maintain that he's got the worst strike in this Fulham squad. I think I think even Tosin has shown at times that he's got a better right foot when going for goal than uh, Harrison Reed does. But I mean, as, as Gentleman Jim said, as I was watching the highlights back, he's gone goal mad. Harrison Reid has gone to his head. He's He just can't stop scoring JC. But I think one thing I will say, it, it's taken a deflection. I, I've watched it back quite a few times. It definitely takes a nick, which... They all count. It, they all count. They all count. And he still hit it sweetly. And I think it's ended up going where he was aiming anyway, and it was probably going into that corner regardless. But again, it's smart positioning. And I don't think we'd originally, I don't think, if you just take an example of like Scott Parker, I don't think he'd have positioned Harrison Reed in that sort of area, um, yeah. dealing with the, the the second ball from a corner. And it's, it's good because I think at times, Fulham have been guilty of maybe having plans from the first ball in, in most elements of games. But... A lot of the time from set pieces, you're dealing with second balls is where you those some of those chances can really come from. And we saw it with the positioning of Andreas Pereira for when he hit that volley um from Willian. And again with Harrison Reed, I mean it comes back to Villa again. Why after the first time that Andreas Pereira pings one, you see Harrison Reed lurking on the edge of the area and you think, Oh, we won't we won't stick anyone on him either. But it's a great finish and it's huge that he's adding this to his game, right? Like yeah. the fact that he's adding goals to to his game as he has moved into a more advanced position is one, a huge credit, but two, a huge asset to Fulham.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. And, and actually one of the things I was thinking about when you were saying that is part of this is clever set piecework because Fulham overloads almost on the line and it's worked obviously for for Diop against Bournemouth, you know, nodding in from point blank range. And it does mean that the defensive line has to be so deep when that comes in that there is less kind of, well, there's more space on the edge of the box. There's less kind of bodies in the way when it does drop there. And we took advantage of that twice, um, as you say. And it's one of those where we're looking at it and going, this is, this is, clever squad planning that is clever set piece building it's actually taking advantage of things we're clearly good at it's something we learned last year under marcus silver that fulham were good at attacking set pieces and working patterns into those players, the blocks the the nba style things that were getting all sorts of coverage last year but actually this year it's more about you know a different style of trying to overload the keeper and make sure that that, bod- that those kind of boxes is so so busy that Players almost can't be picked up in the way that teams would like to, and I, th- I think that's impressive in itself.
1: Yeah, just just to add on that as well. The other thing I think it does, and we saw it because we conceded like this against Arsenal, is that when you crowd the area that much, especially the six-yard box, it makes it so difficult for the keeper. Yeah. And in that situation, where that ball's put into, if you don't crowd the area, Emi Martinez probably just claims that. But because it's so busy, he has to punch, and that's what creates a second ball situation. Whereas, you know, otherwise, I think that's a relatively easy claim because it's what he's punched it for a couple of yards out from goal in the end.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, it went to 11 versus 10 when Mitrovic was headbutted, in inverted commas, uh, by Douglas Luiz. Now, I think it's a red card and that's fine. But there is an element of this that you go, is it all that different to what happened at Wolves, uh, apart from Mitrovic hits the deck? Now, you can look at this in two ways. You can say he's gone down easily. He has gone down easily. Fine. Um, but equally, that's gamesmanship. And it's a part of the game that is often overlooked. He knows that he's he's had contact. He's felt contact from Douglas Luiz. Yes, it's slight. He goes down, as, a, as as one QPR friend put it, like a sack of spuds. Um, and But ultimately, he's got him sent off. And, and actually... Douglas Luiz is an Egypt Now Mitrovic instigates it. Luiz reacts. He reacts over the top. He puts his head in, and unfortunately for him, in a VAR age, you're never getting away with that.
1: It's what my dad said to me is, if if he had, because we you know you can't see it at the time, but he said if he has headbutted him, he's an absolute idiot because you just, I mean, barring Mitrovic against Wolves, in fairness, you can't really get away with doing that anymore. It's smart. From Mitro, it's I think it's akin to how he won the penalty against Bournemouth in, in the way it's that he's he's playing for these situations at times. And I think he knows exactly what he's doing when he goes and tries to rile up Douglas Louise. It's also, I think, an emblem of of where Villa are at in terms of things that turn toxic and yeah. you get bad, you get really poor decision making and hot-headed decisions from players when clubs get into that toxic sort of period. I don't massively like it. I'll be honest, JC. Like, you know, at the time, I haven't seen it happen. I've seen Mitra on the floor, but you can be pretty confident in those situations that someone hasn't gone with a full force headbutt because you don't see that in the Premier League. And so I already knew that he's already playing up to this and he does look a bit ridiculous, but ultimately he's got us into a position where we were never going to lose the game from that point. And so it's smart. But I, overall, I'm probably not a fan of it, but it is still a red card.
0: Yeah, it, it, is. it is. And and also, it's one of those, you go, you only have yourself to blame here. Don't react. If you react, you're like to be punished. And and, and ultimately, he was. And and that's where we're kind of at with it. So it moves on. Uh, and sometimes, you know, a team goes down to 10 and, and they become really hard to break down or they or they manage to sort of counterpunch their way out of things. There was none of that from Villa. There was no, no sort of sense or semblance that they were going to take that you know, even if it used it as a fuse box, but like, that's unfair. It's, we, we feel like we're hard done by, let's kick on and, and, and make them pay for it, even if it is going to be harder. It, it just felt like Fulham rolled the ball around the back for the next 10 minutes and then broke down the left-hand side and, and won a penalty. And again, maybe a little bit harsh. It's off his hand, 100%. It's fired at him at some pace. Uh, and we'd be furious if it had gone against us, but you you take what you can. And and it was just one of those decisions. You know, we said we said at, at West Ham that we were hard done by. We were probably a little bit favored here in in that regard and and so you take them when you can.
1: Yeah, you do. I think by the letter of the law it is a penalty. Yeah. A- it was never going to be a-
0: overturned. They might not have they might not have called it as a penalty at VAR, but it's never going to be overturned because it has his hand.
1: Yeah. But at the heart of it as a as a football fan and viewer, I just don't believe that should be A penalty. I'm not sure there's a whole lot Matty Cash can do there. He's charged down a shot that he knows is coming. There's no real danger on from where that ball is going. It just happens to hit his hand, which whilst it's making his body bigger, I wouldn't say it's unnatural because you have to put your arm somewhere when you're diving like that to try and block a shot. But I think it is a penalty based on how they are enforcing the laws at the moment. So I don't think Villa could really complain about that, but they can feel aggrieved by this is the situation they've been put in by the laws.
0: Yeah. I don't think that there's particularly many Villa fans feeling aggrieved is how I'd put it, because I think they were ready for a change of manager. And I think this was the the straw that broke the camel's back. And I said at the time, it felt like the kind of game you have before a manager sacking, doesn't it? Like a completely unnecessary red card, a kind of spineless loss to a team who probably should be in the same kind of area of the of the league as you, getting absolutely hammered. A penalty that maybe goes a little bit unfairly a- against you, and that kind of collapse and their lack of finishing ability, that lack of defensive structures. We kind of talked about at the beginning. It all felt like a game building up. To, to, to a sacking. And look, to be fair to Alexander Mitrovic, he does his very best to actually miss this. Um, he puts it in the exact same spot that he put it in against Bournemouth. Martinez reads it and just somehow lets it squirm under his body. And Martinez is a very, very good penalty stopper most of the time.
1: He is. And uh, yeah, people remember his exploits for Argentina, right? That's 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 when he, he really, I think, started to come to the fore, especially at... Um, was that, that really highlighted to people, hang on, this this guy is a, is a serious keeper. I think he's actually dived too far. Yeah. I, think I think he's actually been done by the fact that Mitrovic has aimed for the corner and got it so wrong that he's nearly put it down the middle of the goal. Um, one thing I did want to say, just, just before going further on the penalty, is that, and I don't know if this is ridiculous, but last night almost felt like the best result for both teams. Yeah. I, I just, I wonder if... Villa fans this morning have almost woken up and gone, I'm sort of glad Fulham beat us 3-0 because I, I don't have anything against Stephen Jared, and I do have questions over how good of a manager he actually is. Yes, and I, I think agree. it's been it's been highlighted with his inability to adapt really in the Premier League. And he's he's not really solved any of Villa problems. They're despite, no
0: better than they were under Dean Smith a year ago, right?
1: Exactly. And and that's got to be you know, that's got to flag issues with a manager. However, you know, that it, it was clearly time to go and it would have been a, probably a worse result for Villa had they won yesterday because I think it would have been papering over cracks. So I think it's almost come away as the best result for both parties because Fulham needed a win and almost Villa just needed rid of, you know, a concrete excuse to get rid of Steven Gerrard.
0: Yeah, and it provided one for them. <laughs> um, the third goal, well, again, it adds to that thing, a deflected home goal that no one could do much about. It, it, if you're a Villa fan, you're sitting head and hands, but we're not, so I'm going to take them all. Um, but Cabana does really well, actually, to create this space. Actually, when the pass comes across to him from Mitrovic, I was like, that's a lazy pass. He sort of, like, wafted a foot at it, and it's sort of just about beating the defender. Cabana has loads to do, and actually, if the pass had come quicker, he would have cut inside, I think, and shot, but it, it kind of dribbles to him. And then he does brilliantly to, to kind of get around his man, to, to that little burst of speed and to pull it back. And again, there's not much Mings can really do about that. It's not great, but it's not awful either. Um it's just really, really clever from Cabano. He puts it in a spot that you can really do nothing about. And he did that quite a lot yesterday. Um, And I saw some interesting comments kind of looking at the disparity between him and Willian and maybe just the differing styles of of, of how they play and Cabano being more of a kind of one-on-one player whereas Willian opens the field up a a whole lot more, I think, from a Fulham perspective. But in situations like that, he's the man you want on the ball because he can do such damage in tight spaces.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing that... That Cabano brings, and it's actually not that common that, that wingers can provide this. Is that he's equally happy going either way? You know, he, he he's happy to 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 cut onto his left or his right in those one-on-one situations, which makes him so hard to defend against. Yeah. Because in general, there are wingers that you can anticipate as a fullback. He's going to move onto his right, or he's going to move onto his left pretty much 80, 90% of the time. Whereas Niskin seems to be happy going both ways. And I think that's why he beat Matty Cash for that goal, because I think he's expecting him to cut onto his right and have a shot. And instead he shifts it onto his left. And this is, this is, we spoke about it, I think, where we had problems against Bournemouth, is we weren't creating situations where we were crossing the ball from those sort of areas. And that's exactly why they're so dangerous, because even if you don't have men that many men in the box, that many options... You, you, it's a, a numbers game, right? If you put the ball into dangerous areas from those sort of regions, it can go in in a number of ways, yeah. and that was that was one of them. It's Tyron Mings is just caught marking the correct space, but he just can't sort his feet out in time because you don't have time to adapt when you, you're cutting it back from inside the box.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And actually, talking of that, there was an interview with Peter with, with Anthony Robinson on the Athletic this week, and he said he didn't think he had that good a game against Bournemouth. And and I thought that was maybe a little bit self deprecating. I thought he was pretty good, you know, across the course of it. But He said it's really hard to find crosses when they have that many men behind the ball. And and actually, I think that's a fair point. You know, Fulham weren't actually necessarily breaking the lines deep down. We were sort of pumping it into the middle and hoping something would come off. And. It nearly did. And, and maybe we should have scored a winner in that game. But it, it kind of did put the pressure on this one a little bit, I think, in terms of one, how players were performing two how we were creating chances and three on the points. Because if you win that game against Bournemouth and then you draw against Aston Villa, it's kind of fine, isn't it? Four points over those two games at home. You're going, OK, that's that's a decent return. Six points is obviously the, the dream. But actually drawing to Bournemouth means that this one then looks a lot more like a must win than it did beforehand. And again, I think this is one of those things we talk about momentum and we'll come on to Leeds, but it takes the pressure off Leeds a little bit because we've picked up those points midweek. We've taken the jump back above our kind of uh, points to games ratio, which I've banged on about so much on this podcast. Um, but it's one of those where you go, okay, and now Fulham can play a little bit more freely against Leeds and hopefully that that comes off, but we'll come on to that. Um, nice to see Luke Harris make his Premier League debut. Obviously signed a, a new contract, which is great for everyone involved, but also to get those minutes... And this is what games like this afford you, right? You can blood youngsters when there's 20 minutes to go and you're 3-0 up because that's absolutely fine. It was just a shame that really Fulham sort of strolled around during during his time on the pitch and he didn't really get a chance to to make all that much of an impression.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. And this is something that I've been thinking about because after the Bournemouth game, there were some comments from people saying, you know, why didn't we take a gamble and put Luke Harris on to try and get a goal? And I just think that at his age, you know, he's not 18 yet. He's six months off being 18. You want to be bringing those players on into pressure-free scenarios where they can just get used to the speed of the Premier League, to the intensity, to the physicality. And you don't want to to put undue... We can't be relying on a 17-year-old to to send him on. You know, Marco can't be turning to Luke Harris and saying, right, go and get us this goal to get us three points. Because I just don't think it's fair and it puts way too much pressure on a youngster. Whereas, yeah, last night was perfect because he could go on. First thing he can do is chop down Tyrone Mings, completely unnecessary, which I did enjoy. I don't know why. why he. I think he got a bit overexcited, but it was quite enjoyable to see him chop him down. And then, yeah, we were so comfortable in the game. There was nothing that could go wrong in that situation. That's probably the best thing, right? I don't know what you think, but... It's just, just a stress-free, pressure-free scenario where the fans can applaud him on. He can get used to playing alongside these first-team players and just just say that, that, that that's the debut ticked off. That's one difficult day ticked off.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. You get your debut and you get your first start and your first goal and all of those things are important. Um, but it's lovely to be able to do them in a situation where you're like, oh, I can come on and actually maybe try and express myself. Now, he probably didn't get enough of the ball to really do that, but... You know, the situation itself, I think, is a, is a good thing. So I was delighted to see him get a game. And we should just finish with Jao paulinho because there's never a moment I don't really want to talk about him. It's kind of incredible. You sit there and you sometimes just think, how is he here? And he's just that good. Just a remarkable footballer who does all of the things so well. His, his ability to switch play is incredible. He knows where his next pass is going before it gets to him, which is... Really important, obviously, further up the field in terms of actually moving the ball. But in terms of just opening Fulham up and being able to switch wings, and especially when you're playing against 10, it's stunning. In some ways, he he just is the heartbeat and lifeblood of this team already. And he's only been here for, what, 11 games?
1: Yeah, It's so nice as well to see, see him at the heart of it in a game where we've decided to go out and dominate, where, well, been afforded the chance to dominate a game. Because you get to see those playmaking abilities that he has. I think there's been a lot of focus in the first 10 games on what he provides out of possession. Yeah, But then you watch him in a game where we've gone out and dominated and he just dictates the whole thing. And I love it because I think people, that's what we had with John McElserie last year, right? He That ability to, the, the intelligence to know where the ball is going before you've even received it is huge. And that's that's how you control a game from the middle of the park to be that step ahead. And <laughs> you think, right, John he was great at that, but he had a lot of deficiencies out of possession. Now we've got a real complete sort of deep lying playmaker here who who both in and out of possession seems to be the complete package. And it's insane because he's just such a joy to watch. And I think even better last night was that he was quite controlled. Yeah. He he didn't didn't fly into as many challenges. There was one which I think he was lucky again not to get booked for. But I think that's three games now without a booking, which is really important because we need him as available for as many games as possible this season. And I like that he seems to have understood that maybe he can't go flying into every challenge and to pick your battles uh, because we need him on the pitch.
0: Yeah, there was one where he just eased Watkins off the pitch as the ball went out. And I was like, oh, you're not going to win that battle, Oli, my man. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, this is the Portuguese Terminator. You are not running around uh, and, and walking him off the ball. So, yeah, lovely to see. Um, OK, we will leave Aston Villa there for the most part. I'm sure we'll get back to it a little bit with the questions. Uh, but in part two, we're going to be talking about our trip to Ellen Road on Sunday. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm Jack Collins. I'm here with Dan Cook. We're moving on to the weekend, to Ellen Road. And Dan, just before we came on air, you were saying it's a rarity, but you're looking forward to this visit, which is which is really nice, isn't it? It just feels like Fulham are in a good place.
1: It feels like we're in a good place. And it's. I don't know what it is about Ellen Road, but just in seasons gone by, I've, I've never had any faith of us going there and doing anything. And I don't know what it is, uh, but in general i just don't have much confidence in, in us against leeds but i think this is a really good opportunity like we're in a really really good place and they're in a really really terrible place and it's it's exciting because i think elland road whilst it gets praised for for being that that cauldron of atmosphere if we go there and 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 make early movements i think it's very quickly going to turn a bit nasty there because i don't know if you've if you've seen the same stuff but i've seen some leeds fans already muttering about maybe it's time To move on from Jesse Marsh.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of vitriol last night after they lost to Leicester. I I can't work Leeds out. Now, I like Jesse Marsh a lot. I think he's a really good manager and a really good coach, but it's not quite coming off for him at the moment. Now, they look really good against Arsenal and they were unlucky not to get anything out of that game, to be perfectly honest with you, because they're the best side for long periods of it against the league leaders. And then they go to Leicester and completely collapse. Um, And the first goal in particular, you know, Mark Rocker, loses a ball in midfield, which is really unlike him. He's one of those players that just keeps the ball, keeps possession usually. He slips over in midfield, Leicester break. um, They get a man over. Uh, on the side and, and basically Robin Koch puts it into his own net because otherwise Harvey Barnes is going to do it, to be fair to him. Um, so he was just he was just sorting it out early. But it is, <laughs> you know, and then Harvey Barnes gets free down his side and, you know, the overman, the overwork, they've drawn Junior Firpo out Leicester. And look, Leicester have been poor this season, right? And we're looking at this and going, okay, if you can draw this defence out. Now, look, Marsh has enforced changes Firpo came back in at left-back. He's not been a major success at Leeds. Um, he was excellent at Betis and then didn't really get a go at, at Barcelona. But he he just hasn't really adapted at all. And part of that is due to you know, injuries that have kept him out for long spells. He's not really been able to get a run of fixtures. But if you can tempt him up the field, Leeds look, look kind of lost with that left hand partnership of, of Urente and, and Firpo in there. And you can get at them. And the way that Fulham played yesterday, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't bank on, on Leeds being able to stop. That Fulham attack in 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 the it's it's a very very potent attacking force right now.
1: I, I always have faith in us to score goals yeah. and against Villa, you know that's that's a team who are who are very whilst they've been poor, they've been relatively good defensively. Whereas yeah, they, this lead side are massively there to be got at, and and there I think there will always be chances in this game that will come our way, just just as a virtue of of how. Lead set up, and I think the other thing that that I've been noticing, and I think this is where you can tell that that Jesse Marsh is maybe starting to panic slightly, is that there's there's been this movement at Leeds away from the players who you would maybe say that you would highlight as their danger men or their key players. You know, you look at Rodrigo, who started the season really well, oh, yeah. and has now been dropped for for Patrick Bamford, after Bamford came on as a substitute and looked better, he then got a starting spot. You look at at, at Jack Harrison, who's who sort of shifted out of the team in that in that Leicester game, and Somerville comes in. That there just seems to be he, he seems to be panicking a little bit on what he thought was his best eleven, and now I think he's not too sure. And this this is a really great opportunity for us t- to go in against a, an unsettled side who have, have had players coming in and out due to injury or due to poor form uh, and we've got a much more settled squad I would say you know we went barring one change unchanged midweek and I would expect to see a very similar side on Sunday and that's a good thing.
0: Well, it's going to be my next question because obviously Marsh has rotated there. I imagine with fixture congestion in, in, in as much as anything else. Um, but next week is there's no midweek games for Fulham or Leeds. So you'd kind of look at this and go, can you get these players through a third, a third game? And if that's the case... You know, do Fulham change? Does Harry Wilson come in maybe? You know, he's, he's on the brink looking back for a, a start. I don't think you can drop William after that performance. But equally, you have to bear in mind that he is an older player in this squad and might need a little bit more rest and recuperation than perhaps some of the youngsters. Dan James is ineligible for this game. So so that makes, I'd imagine, Silver's well selection process a little bit easier. But, you know, right now you don't see many changes coming in at this point.
1: No, I don't. And I think we've got Douglas Louise to thank here slightly because really we spent the second 45 last night strolling about most of the time and the intensity got sucked out of the game, which I think helps. It's, I mean, you've still got the whole conversation about recovery periods and it's not necessarily just the intensity in the game. It's, you know, the recovery the next day, the travel. There's so many other factors involved. But I think it means we don't have to be as concerned about squad rotation as if we had been going hammer and tong for 90 minutes Um, but I wouldn't expect to see too much change I would like to see Harry Wilson come in but at the same time it's probably a good thing that we've been able to coax him back in relatively slowly yeah because when you've got when you've got an injury that keeps you out that long it's good that we weren't forced to bring him in too quickly and that's one of the big things that why bringing William in made so much sense and why it's so good that it's paid off because we haven't had to rush Harry Wilson back, but I think he's probably ready to start now.
0: Yeah, he, he feels like he's sort of chomping at the bit for it, right? And uh, and maybe it's just time to ease him in and maybe that gives Willian or, or Niskins a rest and allows them to, you know, maybe play 60 rather than, than all of these things. So that that probably is a, is a nice problem to have, I think, is probably the, the main argument. The, the questions will remain when Kenny Tete returns to fitness, but I think it's this is going to be a little bit early for him considering he wasn't even in contention last night. Um, for him to be thrown back in at the, at the deep end here is... Probably unlikely, I would say, but but that's kind of where we are right now. And look, Bobby Reed was excellent last night, and and, and I don't think he's going to be shifted. We did get a question about, you know, why Mbabu isn't playing. So I, I suppose it's, it's as good a time as any to, uh, to to really kind of get this get this together. But Eddie said what makes Mbabu not sufficient at right back, and and I think it's a fair question. Um, look, there were there was a point yesterday where we thought. Maybe, maybe a right back coming back in is is necessary, especially after what happened at the start of the the Bournemouth game. But probably kind of quiet some of those concerns. I think
1: he did. There's one moment that did concern me, and it's because it's not the first time it's happened. Which is watching the the highlights back after we can see after we scored, um, Villa went up the other end pretty much instantly, uh, and Danny Ings got slipped through. And all the Fulham player defensive line threw up their arms for appealing for offside. And then you watch the clip back and, and Bobby is, is two or three yards deeper than anyone else. And that's one of those things that comes with experience. You know, be playing as part of a line and holding that line is really tough. And that comes when you know your other three slash four defenders, depending on what you're playing, and when you've honed the art of, of playing in a back line. And so that's a concern because the same thing happened against Bournemouth, and I think the same thing happened against West Ham as well. So that's it is a problem, but he was also very good just in general. I thought he he's very good at being quite irritating, Bobby, which I like. And it's one of the things that Kenny Teto is so good at is he loves that physical one-on-one battle. And Bobby seemed up for that against Ollie Watkins. But I just it just I really do think we just need a right back playing at right back, JC. I don't know. I I, I don't. It's one thing know. when you're
0: dominant, isn't it? Like, and we were yeah. so dominant yesterday that it almost didn't matter. But actually, if you're under the cosh, those kind of things can cost you.
1: And he could be coming up against you know potentially Luis Sinistera on Sunday, who is uh, he's a bit of an enigma. He's you know he's he's a bit raw still at yes. the moment. But that's dangerous, I think, when you're coming up against an unexperienced right-back because I don't know if Bobby's going to be able to deal with that. He's, he's quite a direct player. He likes to, to take people on. He's not afraid to have a shot. And maybe you just need a little bit of defensive nous to deal with players like that. And and likewise, you know, you've got other players in there like Jack Harrison, who I like, uh, who I think yeah, they, 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 they've got good wide players. And as you mentioned, they're, they're, they're fullbacks as well, especially you know Junior Furpo who likes to get up that flank. It feels like an area of the pitch that Leeds might be happy to target. And whether Bobby's up to that task or not, we'll see. In general, he's dealt with pretty much everything that's lob, been lobbed at him as a, a Fulham player for the past four years. You know, if, Every time he's been asked to do something different, he adapts well, but he's not going to do it perfectly.
0: No, he's very much the Swiss Army knife in this team, as I said before. But he, you know, Swiss Army knife is is not what you actually want for screwing in and and you know a nail sometimes. <laughs> not a nail. We don't screw in nails. Screw. In. Um, but yeah, just it, qui- it's-
1: just quickly, JC as well. I don't know, like why why do you think he's he's not playing Kevin and Babu? Because I don't think his forty five two forty five minutes cameos that he's done, had in the league that have been really bad. So if we look at Spurs and uh, Newcastle they were bad, right? He was not good. However, that doesn't seem enough to me to completely write off a player because there were, there were circumstances that meant it was difficult for him. One playing at left back and then two being down to 10 men. Yeah. So it's got to be something on the training ground, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, well, Marco Silva said, you know, he's not quite up to the level yet and it's up to him to get to the level that, that we require. And my, my supposed question would be, how good is Mbabu actually in terms of one-on-one defending? And... He's never really been that kind of player, you know, from from what I've seen of him down the years at, at Young Boys and then at Wolfsburg. He he is an attacking threat, right? That, that was his kind of role. He was a, a, a kind of fullback that liked to bomb on, that liked to, to get forward and, and make a difference. We saw that with that cross for Alexander Vichovic against Brentford. But, you know, in terms of actually kind of shackling a man... I don't know how much difference there is between him and Bobby Reed. Now maybe the question is actually how used he is to playing in a back line. Is he going to be the one playing people on side? as, as you know, and I think the answer is no, he has more of that skill set, perhaps having been a, a right back for for a long time. But I wonder if Barker Silver is going, well, Bobby Reed offers more than you going forward and he's not miles off where you are defensively. and therefore the trade-off, is actually that I, I get to have Bobby Reid on the pitch, who the players know, and, and and obviously is a relatively popular figure around the dressing room, as we've seen down the years. Someone that knows the back line, obviously Diop is new, but this is he knows Tosin, he knows Tim Ream, he knows Anthony Robinson, he knows Nisconskibano. they they're players that he's had a relationship with for years, and therefore I'm I'm, I'm kind of looking at and going, maybe he just thinks that the trade off, considering Bobby is is kind of well suited and, and well fit in this side is a little bit more than, than what he'd get from Mbappu. But I do. that's the only thing I can really think of that would make sense because otherwise it seems very harsh, as you say, based on the opportunities he's been given and the situations that he found himself in to actually be like, nah, he's not good enough on, on what we've seen. But again, we don't see everything on the training ground.
1: No, we don't. Fun fact, though, he has got the, if you go per 90 the highest expected assists per 90 in this Fulham squad, which I think is partially down to that that sort of 15 minutes against Brentford, okay. but still, it's, <laughs> he's... Uh... 0.19 expected assists per 90, which puts him above everyone, you know, and Andreas Pereira and William second and third. So he does he does, he does, does have contributions going forward. There's yeah, no doubt about that. A
0: hundred percent. I wonder if it's just about, pretty much about fit. Um, right, last question before we actually move on to the full questions section, because I did enjoy this from Craven the Hunter. He said, has a manager, has a football club ever caused the sacking of two managers in one week? And can it be done? Now, Jesse Marsh yesterday didn't go over to the Leeds fans after the loss to Leicester. He apologized afterwards he said, I'm really sorry. My head's already in the game on Sunday. I just wasn't thinking I was quite angry, which is fine. It's not it's not a major problem. But as he said, the Leeds fans booed the substitutions. They booed them off at half time. Um there was a song, Who the F is Jesse Marsh, singing around the away end, um, after he didn't come over. Uh, no, where, sorry, where the his jesse marsh ringing out after he didn't come over and for the last 10 minutes they literally sang about marcelo bielsa for the entire 10 minutes it's not great now i think he has the faith of the board in that it seems to be a long-term project they said last year that even if Leeds were relegated he would remain in charge and they have faith in him creating things over a longer period but it's not grey vibes. And so a loss here, especially about us, and I think you're right when you said at the start, Fulham go 1-0 up here relatively early on. Ellen Road will turn. It will become very poisonous very quickly. And that is, one, something we could use to our advantage, but two, not a great look if you're the chairman and that's, that's your manager's kind of swan song.
1: It sounds pretty similar to what the Villa away end was like yesterday as well. You know, you've got anger at... At substitutions you've got anger, just general anger pointed towards the manager it's never a good sign um, I think that they'd probably be foolish to act now I think if I if I was to look at, at the teams in the league at this point and where they're at I wouldn't expect a, a season of if, if Leeds kept Jesse Marsh for a full season I wouldn't expect them to go down I think that they've got enough quality in there and I think he's a good enough manager to keep them up and acting now feels unnecessary I guess the mitigating factor is the fact that you've got the World Cup and if you want to if you're really not happy it's a quite a good time to change things up it's funny because you know if we if we if we beat Leeds and and they sack um they sack Jesse Marsh then you're looking at if we beat Everton, <laughs> Frank Lampard's looking in a, a, little bit of a shaky position as well. we'll do do three in three games, That's and that it. Would, would be peak Fulhamish. I would absolutely love that. That that would be that would be cause for the uh, for the horn. Play I the think. horn, yeah. Play the, play <laughs> the siren. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I I I'm with you. I think they could, especially given the caliber of managers on the market isn't great, and I think you're seeing that with the Wolves. You know, lacking have said they're not going to sign anyone until the new year. Ger- Gerard Sacking has has led Villa into a bit of a search, a quick fire search, and they've gone. Oh, Poch doesn't want it. Who does? Uh, they're looking a little bit all over the place right now. Bournemouth. I've been looking for a manager longer than Liz Truss was in power. Um, you know, it is it's one of those where it doesn't feel like there's all that many names right on the market right now that are willing to step in and take these jobs. And you have to kind of take a gamble on someone. And Chris Wild is available. Would Wild go to to Leeds? I don't know. You know, there's there's that kind of Yorkshire rivalries kicking around there. So, yeah, it, it's all a bit uncomfortable. So I, I don't know if this is the case, but maybe, perhaps.
1: I, I also think that that teams at the moment are guilty of of overestimating the calibre of manager that they can actually get in. Yeah. And I think that that's that's led to some some poor decisions as well. You know, I think I think Wolves spent too much time chasing managers that that frankly were probably never going to come to the club. And at that point, you know, I think it it makes no sense as a club to sack a manager if you have no idea who's willing to come in and replace them. Yeah. And I think that that's that's something that I think Villa might be guilty of. That I think they they're looking in in the territory of potentially chasing managers that I would be very surprised. Given given as well and I said this on the Villa podcast given the opportunities that might be starting to arrive in Europe of teams that are looking to potentially shift on a manager. Yeah. You know, for for Pochettino I think if you look at you know Simone and Zaggy's situation at Inter that's that's very precarious. And if you were to offer Poch Inter or Villa, I think that seems like a cent that no
0: brainer, right? Know, there's, no, right.
1: There's, there's one that I would definitely pick there. And so I think that's the Premier League teams are being a little bit guilty at the moment of, of overestimating who they can get in. And also not understanding projects that are going on. You know, QPR have got a really good project going on, and potentially Wolves were were foolish to bank on the fact that is it Michael Beale?
0: Well, it's, here's Michael, Mick. but apparently he goes to Mick now because he Mick. wants to sound like an EastEnders knockoff. <laughs>
1: okay. So Mick Beale it, it didn't want to step away from that, and it seems like Wolves didn't understand the concept of of, of teams trying to put that sort of project together. Which is so... funny because Wolves were a project, <laughs> but exactly. And this 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 is the the the, the ridiculous thing. So I. I think leads would be foolish to act now as, as you said because there's there's not that many names out there and then you're taking a risk whereas probably jesse marsh is the the highest caliber option at the moment with a, a proven record
0: yeah yeah i'd agree okay right we're gonna wrap up part two there and we've got a load more questions after the break stick with us <laughs> Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Jack Collins here with Dan Cook. and we've got a stack of questions. So I'm basically just going to read through them, to be honest, mate. And we'll rattle through them in quick fire fashion. Sammy hasn't sent me any. This will catch on, so I'm afraid i I can't enlighten you or uh, entertain you with those today. But we'll we'll, we'll do some questions instead. I, I,
1: I do have a maybe. Can we start with a, a just a comment on a on a chant, which sort of loosely ties in with this? Will catch on. Go for it. Which is the the current. Chant going around the hammy end of the Parker said that Metro shite yeah. to Ring of Fire, which I think lyrically is very good. However, I, I really have a problem with the speed that we're singing this at JC, and I know that you're a someone who who, who timing the timings police and the the syllables police, as you have been known, but. Why do we sing it so quickly? We like, sing everything quickly.
0: We sing we, we tried to speed up every song in history. I'm not sure why we do it, how we do it, where we do it. We speed up, can't take my eyes off you, with the Tanoy playing. Like we're still we're still about three seconds ahead of, of the bouncy bit before we get to it. I'm like, lads, can we all just slow down a little bit? We need one of them people with a megaphone, I reckon. We might have to go all Crystal Palace on this, get a drum and a megaphone, just to keep people in time. But uh, yeah, no, the,
1: the Ring of Fire song is good. It's good, but if we could slow it down a little bit, I think it would be even better.
0: Just a tad. All right, that's a message to you. Anyone at the back of H5, can you just slow things down a tad? Thanks very much. <laughs> the old boys here want you to just uh, slow the words down so everyone can understand. Um, right. Chris Lewis says, fantastic win last night, but feeling like I'm being a bit negative. Our defence still looked pretty shaky. Tete's is obviously a big miss. What needs to be done to rectify it? I mean, there was a similar question from Ad, Abram Smith who said, Thoughts on Tosin's absence out of the side based on contract talks or choice?
1: I think it's choice. I think it's 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 preference from Marco. I'm not entirely sure whether I agree with it. And I was saying the same after the Bournemouth game. And I don't know what your thoughts are, but there's nothing... I, I don't see Diop and Tim Ream as a long-term centre-back pairing. And so at some point, Tosin and, and Issa Diop are going to... Ha- have to learn how to play alongside each other in a, in, in a match scenario because Tim reem's Tim got not got time on his side right like he's he's gonna eventually drift out of this team and we signed saying this that ad- we said that three years ago <laughs>
0: <You> still- <laughs> that's true it's true fair play um, the absolute the absolute man captain America is um is quite the fella
1: yeah and and massive credit to him because He's clearly doing the right things and he's clearly got the confidence of Marco at the moment to be in this side. And in general, that's probably fair enough because I think for large parts, he's been good. He's not been perfect, but the whole defensive unit hasn't been perfect. But I just I just can't help thinking that this whole summer transfer window, our business was geared to play Tosin next to Issa Diop. And so eventually that's going to happen because I personally think that Tossin is one of our biggest assets in terms of financial assets. He is a, a homegrown English centre-back who, if a team wanted to buy him, would command quite a large fee. And the longer he well, spends that, out of the team...
0: There's that, um, the deal, isn't there? Unless he signs his new contract soon. His old contract has a, a release clause that kicks in at the start of every summer until July. It's like June to July every year. It's really bizarre.
1: It's really weird. And it's, it's a really... Far below what he's worth i think because this is what you know as you, we we go through this brexit fallout now you know the the the, the squad registration rules have always been relatively tough but they they're only going to get tougher with the, with the work permit issues and so having a a homegrown center back is huge and also i mean not to say jc until when we get into the europa conference league you need yeah. those homegrown 100%. signings um so he's he's a massive part of that so i just i would really like to see him come in and play alongside Issa diop who i'm becoming a massive fan of because he excites and terrifies me in equal measure at the same time and it's i never know quite exactly, how to feel wasn't it it was brilliant and he looks awkward when he's doing things but it's it works and i think it's just partially because he is he's, he's very tall yeah but it it works and i think he was better again yesterday than he was against Bournemouth I think he's improved in each appearance which is all you can ask again of a player um, and I like him I think I do I think I do like him and the the fact that he can distribute is huge and the fact that he's come he seems to be willing to get on the ball as well he offers and also I'd I thought that Tim Ream was quite good with him yesterday, in the sense that he was kept on demanding quite a lot of him. There was often times when Diop was looking to to maybe put his foot on it, and Tim Ream was being quite proactive in trying to speed that up and and, and get Issa playing in the way that you know he should be within this Fulham side. Yeah. I don't know what you think. I just, I just, I, whilst it worked yesterday, I just don't see any long term solution here of playing these two together.
0: Yeah, I mean maybe this season, but bear in mind Tosin and and, and Diop are on longer term deals now um uh, you'd assume that they become a partnership at some point uh I, what I like about Diop and, and I said this you know at the game was that he's loud and he encourages the players around him now Tim Ream does it as well and so you've got two centre-backs kind of cajoling everybody else and I think that's a really good thing and it shows that kind of leadership characteristics that you want in the centre-back that you know they able to take you know, dominance over the line, both of them, and I thought that was that was a nice touch just to watch, and you can see their body language. They're both constantly moving players around, which is which is massive because if you have two quieter centre backs, then you don't get quite as much of that, and I think the team shape can fall out a little bit quicker. and And so I thought that bit was nice, but but right now I I think you don't change a winning formula. Yes, I think long term we'd imagine Tosin and Diop to come in here together. But right now, I think it has to stay how it is. So it's going to be interesting to see how he rotates that for the for the time being.
1: I don't dis- disagree with that. And I, two things I want to say. One, I think there's nothing worse than, than a quiet centre-back. I just don't, I just, just at heart, I think you just need a centre-back. Centre-backs need to communicate so much. Yeah. And secondly, I, the other thing that I think is important to, to consider, if you go back, what, four or five years, like Issa Diop was hot property like he was a a someone that was really was yeah he was someone who was really marked out as like this could be a a real top center back in the future and i quite like it because we seem to be be doing this with a, a couple of players in just understanding that you know that at 2021 20, you've got players who are a thought of as potential stars of the future For whatever reason, it's not quite worked out. And sometimes that can be moves that don't work for them. Sometimes it can be lack of game time. And Marco Silva seems to be quite good at reinvigorating these players. And I quite like it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, and we'll move on to Ollie's question. He says, "Is it time to just fully trust the process?" Marcus, Marco has us on now. So many called for the inclusion of Kearney from the start last night, but Reed was excellent. The faith he shows in players is paying out in spades. Willie and another who nobody thought would be any good. Now we've got a couple of replies to this. Tristan said, "Not nobody." I said it was a canny signing, um, and there's a couple of other other people in here who are like, "No, I thought it was a decent signing," but I, I think it's a fair point. These are players who people were maybe a little bit questioning. um, And I think for fair reason, considering the way that things played out um, in Brazil. And you could say the same for Pereira, right? Who came in and everyone was like, I'm not sure about this, but he's been excellent. So is it just time to just be like, it doesn't really matter who Marco plays. But I think most people are probably on this this wave. You know, I didn't look at the team last night and go, oh, no.
1: Yeah, I think there's been very few times that I've been baffled or disappointed with a Marco Silva starting 11. I think you can always... I think the one thing you can always see is what he's trying to do and the the reasoning behind the team he puts out. Now, whether it comes off or not, isn't always the point. It's just the fact that you can understand his thought process, which... You, you know, if you look at, not to go back to it again, but if you look at like Steven Gerrard, there are there are Villa fans who are not understanding his team selection yeah. and they don't understand what they're trying to achieve. Whereas I have full faith in Marco Silva because I, I you, you see the little changes he makes and adapt- adaptations based on the teams that we're playing, that this is a man who does his homework and he understands the opposition he's coming up against and he's always picking a team for the team that they we're playing, and I love that, and I yeah, I, I have full trust in him absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, a couple here. Blank mind says, are you guys concerned by Leno's ability on crosses? Got lucky yesterday. We dropped points against Arsenal after a similar mistake. Brilliant shot stopper, but I don't feel as comfortable with him in goal as Ariola. I think it's a fair point. Um, I, I, concerned is probably not the word I would use because I think he's earning us more points, and he's he, he's potentially losing us. And look, we didn't get punished yesterday, and Watkins should have scored. Uh, that is ultimately where we're at with it. But his his overall contribution to the side, I think, is a, is, is a major net positive. But I do think it's probably a fair point about Ariola because he was so good at commanding his area.
1: Yeah, I think you could probably break down goalkeepers' duties into four areas. Maybe if you look at crosses, shot stopping, sweeping, distribution would be maybe the four pockets yeah. that you could create. And... Potentially, yeah. Crosses is the weakest of of Leno's four. I think his distribution, whilst we were warned that it was poor, I think has been relatively good. Yes, I I think he's been pretty good. I think what I like recently as well is he's been encouraged to start counter-attacking moves from set pieces with you know throwing the ball out, kicking long. I quite like that. You know, giving us a little bit of drive. But. I think we do have to understand that at our level as a club, you know, the type of keeper that we can get in is not going to be a t- keeper who can excel at all four of those areas, probably. And probably if you extend that across into world football, there are very few keepers who will nail down all four of those. You're always going to have deficiencies somewhere. Yeah. hundred percent. But I don't think I'm massively concerned about him from, from corners. I think there are, The the, the Arsenal one, I don't know how much of it was his fault. I think it was smart from Arsenal. They crowded him out. Yes, he probably could have dealt with it better. But yeah, as you said, net positive wise, he's been a huge addition to this team.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, One for Christian Hale. He says, when all our wingers are fully fit, who should start? I'm sure someone will give the diplomatic answer of it depends on the opponent. Um, But we'd like to know who you all think has done enough to earn a starting spot. For me at the minute, it has to be Willian and Wilson. I would probably agree with that. But I do, there's the kind of thing where I don't think Willian is going to be starting every game from here to the end of the season just because of fitness and rotation. Um, And we don't really know how Harry Wilson is going to return from this injury completely, right? There are, obviously we have high hopes that he'll just be able to bounce straight back into things. But, you know, it does often take time for a player to get back up to speed. And considering how they played yesterday, Willian and Cabano have the nod right now. And i don't think I would move them away from it unless for rotation, you know, and fitness things, just to you know keep everyone fresh. That would be the only reason I would currently change the lineup.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think, and again, Marco has has shown that he stands by this thing of like, if you're putting in good performances, I won't drop you. And that and that extended to even when someone came in for an injured previously first choice player so we saw it with Kenny Tete last year Nico Williams came in was really really good and so Kenny Tete didn't get his position back by default which I think is the same will happen with Harry Wilson he's going to have to earn his place back in this side if you ask me who I think our two first choice wingers are in an ideal world I think the whole plan has been Harry Wilson and Manuel Solomon and there it was quite nice watching a Couple of videos that Fulham put out that clearly there are players in this Fulham side who really rate Manuel Solomon and they've been quite impressed by him. Some comments on his on his ability on the ball um, were particularly exciting, and I would really want to see him in this side. So I think that would be my ultimate goal. But if we're looking at maybe just this weekend, then it is hard to to give a reason why Nieskens or Willian should be dropped beyond yet yeah, rotational options.
0: Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, we got a similar question from Cedrezinho, who said, thoughts on the best midfield once everyone is fit. I assume he includes wingers in this because I don't think you change your midfield three, do you? Reid, Pelinha and Pereira feels like the first choice midfield, and I think that's probably spot on.
1: It is. I don't know what you think, but it is slightly concerning that... So they are the, first, the three first choice, and that's great. But is it also the fact that we can't necessarily rotate that much because none of them have a like-for-like replacement of a similar calibre. Like, who is our, uh, most likely to me, I think, our likeliest Harrison Reed replacement is probably Andreas Pereira. Yeah. So if if, if he's not fit, I think Andreas Pereira drops a bit deeper because that's what he did at Manchester United. Um, that's where he played quite a lot, really, over a, a couple I'm of pretty years pretty sure he ago. played
0: almost exclusively there for Flamengo yeah. as well. Yeah.
1: Um, so that's, you know, that's a concern that your replacement option is already in the starting 11. Polina, yeah, it's Nat chalaber and I'm, I think that's, it's fine. He is the, the direct replacement, but then you talk about the, the, the gap in quality there. Yeah. And then for Andreas Pereira, you know, maybe historically it would have been Tom Kenny, but Tom Kenny's not that that style of 10 that Andreas is. And, and again, not the style of 10 that Fabio Carvalho was. You drop, so in, it's you like... drop
0: almost into a 4-3-3, I think, if, if that's the case. Yeah. But then how does your press work? Because it's not great having Mitch Rich lead the press on his own. Um, And so you're asking a lot of players to do various roles at that point. Maybe Pereira and Kearney play a kind of system where in possession, Kearney is the 10 and out of possession, he becomes the 8. And they kind of rotate in order that Pereira is pressing is still a is still a key element. But equally, you're asking players to do a lot there.
1: You are. That's, a, that's my only concern. But yeah, if you ask me who's my first choice midfield three, it, it, it's it's Pelina Reid and Andreas Pereira, because I think we've got a really nice balance. And the fact, as we said, the, the fact that Harrison Reid has added goals in means that he's turned into a... He was already an asset, but he's adding even more now as someone who has been in the top three of our players of the season every year that he's been with us.
0: Yeah, well Chris Harris said read for England question mark. And I you know, whilst this on paper might seem a bit ridiculous, I don't think it is at all. Um now I don't think he's gonna go, but I think if if, if Gasak is picking a 55 man squad for the World Cup, he's it, got to be in he it. He has to be in it because there is literally not enough centre midfielders. You look at England's, you know, first choice four centre midfielders and you go, right, Bryson Phillips plus James Ward-Prowse and Jordan Henderson, fine. If any of them are injured, I mean, Phillips isn't playing. He's had about four Premier League minutes since he's joined Manchester City. Um, Henderson, is, his drop-off this season has has been relatively well-documented. Rice and Bellingham, sorry, of course, um, you know, that's fine. That's all good. But the options beyond that aren't great. And Harrison Reid has been a standout player for, as you say, three seasons with Fulham. And I don't think, I think he's still a couple of injuries off getting in there. And I don't think he's going to, to be at this World Cup. You know, let, let's make that clear. But afterwards, when this, ch- you know, when the changes come, could England do with a player like Harrison Reed? I think the answer is absolutely 100% yes.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the thing that will work in his favour, if Fulham continue on this path, is that if he's putting out these level of performances in a side that isn't in the bottom three of the Premier League, I think that gets a little bit more notice as well. I think in general, there would, whether that's, it's right or not, I think international managers would be reticent to pick a player who is in a struggling side that would lead to some comments and surprise from not just fans, but from media as well, because realistically how many people outside of the Fulham bubble are currently aware of Harrison Reed, it's growing, but still not that many, I would say. But, but he's got, yeah, he's got to be in the conversation. He won't go to the World Cup. They would never do that, barring some some ludicrous amount of in- injuries. But if Fulham continue on this same path and Harrison Reed continues on the same path, then there are opportunities in friendlies, in nation leagues games, for him to to maybe get a call up. And I would love that. That would be incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think he still has a couple of people in front of him right now, for better or for worse. I still think that Ruben Cheek is more likely to be picked in those roles. I think that Kin and Jewsbury Hall is probably a slightly higher profile than Harrison Reed right now, even if he plays in a slightly more attacking role. But I'd imagine that those are the kind of players that might well make this fifty-five. But uh, if they're not paying attention to Harrison Reed, then they're, they're really missing out on something because there's, there's a lot to like there and in a position where England don't feel like they have all that much depth. All right, final one uh, from Harry. He says, how much do you actually think our midfield of Pereira, Harrison Reed, and Polinia is currently worth combined? It's a good question because
1: I think Polinia's is worth 70 million on his own. Oh, he's that okay, I wasn't gonna go that high for him, but yeah, fair enough. He's
0: on a six year contract, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, yes, there's an element of if someone comes calling and he goes, I I would like to do that, you have to kind of bend a little bit to his wishes, but I think you're looking at a minimum of sixty. These are, you know, sixes of his calibre are not common.
1: I I agree. Uh I just think that there's a a tax on us not being as big a club, right? And and there there's Teams like Fulham, and uh, you, you hate to say it, but historically we've been screwed over with transfer fees. Like there, there are so many cases where we have had to let a player go for so much less than I think they're worth. Now, part of those reasons have been contractual, the fact that they haven't had time left on their contract. So that's we've got in our favour. Is he a £60 million player? Yes, absolutely he is. And he is worth more than that to Fulham, which I think is one thing that should always dictate a transfer fee. And whenever you, you hear people laughing about a transfer fee, I think they always forget to include that. How much is worth
0: to an actual club?
1: Yeah, because that's a huge part of it. It's not it's, it's not just how much are they worth as an individual. It's how much are they worth to the selling club? How much are they worth to the buying club? And then you bring all of that together and you settle on a fee. Um but yeah, no, okay. I won't disagree. He's he is a sixty million pound player. Whether we'd get that for him, I don't know. Um, if we did, sets us up quite nicely. But I would love to see him see out a six year contract. I just, I don't know if that will happen. Pay it forever, please, that would be, <laughs> yeah. That would be great. Um, yeah, I think Reed's
0: probably worth twenty twenty five million. And I think I've being 15, English as well. And Pereira's probably worth fifteen. But also bear in mind, he's. I don't know if he counts as homegrown, but I think he might. I think he might as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think you're looking at 100 million for the three of them, minimum. Um, And now whether Fulham would get that or not is a different question, as you say. But overall, I think that's probably what they're worth. But Dan, we've rambled on far too long. (laughs) This was meant to be a really quick fire podcast. We've ended up going over an hour. Um, But I've really, really enjoyed it. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you to everyone for all of your questions as ever. And thank you so much, Mr. Dan
1: Cook. Thank you very much for having me, JC. This has been an absolute pleasure.
0: And the only thing left to do is to name the podcast. So I'm going to throw it to you.
1: I think ultimately, normally in these situations, JC, likes do dictate which was the best one. And this one racked up a good number of likes and it's hard to disagree. Got to go with Jakob Krupa's Heroes and Williams. Very good. Well done. Very, very
0: good. I've been Jack Collins. This has been your Fulhamish podcast. After that villa game, everything looks rosy for the whites right now. Off we go to Ellen Rose. Thanks for listening. You whites. Right.